Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide. Good morning and welcome to Talk Back Gardening on the first weekend of August and that means we have a very special guest. Good morning Deb and good morning gardeners. Darren Ray, independent climatologist with a three-month weather outlook. Uh, so many uh, predictions about it's going to be a wetter-than-average uh, spring. So what will Darren have to say? I can't wait to hear. And as you said, we had quite a dry July, but winter ain't over yet. So let's see what's in store for us for the rest of August. And later in the program, we'll take a look at roses. Gavin Woods will be our guest, one of our top rosarians, rose judge, and he has not pruned his roses, would you believe? What's the consequences of not pruning your roses and the link between uh, roses that have still got their leaves and a black spot problem? And I thought I was the only one, John. I'm pleased to hear that there's a very eminent rosarian in the same situation. Many gardeners were surprised, and I suspect disappointed that in July we only had 50% of our normal July rainfall. Climatologist Darren Ray last month was suggesting that July we might get average, although it could be below average. Darren, did you expect only 50% of average though? Yeah, it was was a bit drier than than expected. Um, it's rained rained a bit more over the east and over the northeastern parts of Australia, but there's a yeah, quite a dry swathe across um, central and western parts of Australia. Basically, the um, I mean, just uh, I've been spending a bit of time digging into what what happened, and basically the, the, the tropical activity that I've been talking about was just in the wrong place um, through the month. So, um, you know, a, it was all all convecting away in the Indian Ocean, away from Australia, over over near Africa. So all the moist air was rising up there, um, and also off off the off in the coral sea. So it was coming coming over Queensland, um, but not over us. So we were sort of sitting in the middle of this uh, sort of area where the air, air was sinking down a bit more than usual, and it was actually yeah, that air mass was actually quite a bit drier than usual um, through through July. So basically, not supporting rainfall formation. Despite having, we, we had, uh, I think, something like seven cold frontal systems move over South Australia during the month, but just not the moisture put, uh, squirting into the systems that supported much in the way of significant rainfall. In fact, you often talk about uh, uh, the MJO, the Madden-Julian Oscillation, and that was over there in the Indian Ocean, and that was sucking up the moisture where, where, that we wanted. Yeah, so, um, I mean, the good news is um, things have things of transitioning and the um the bureau declared the negative indication dipole has commenced so been, been talking about that for a few months um and basically that's that that helps supports that that change the background state with um you know slightly warming oceans to northwest australia just supports more moisture availability and then it comes down to you know are, are we going to see the tropical activity uh, progressing across, across northern australia in the right spot to push moisture over us and we're always already seeing some of that, and it looks very much like we'll see more of that over the next couple of weeks. How wet is August going to be? I mean, the models have still got bad average rainfall for Adelaide, so um, there's there's three three separate pushes of moisture, um, you know, squirting in from the tropics across Australia from the northwest um, over the next sort of week, or ten days or so. So there's plenty of support there for rainfall in the first half of August. Uh, in terms of moisture availability and and some weather systems to pick up on that. So, but you know it does look like that that tropical activity weakens off the second half of the month. So it looks like it'll be drier the second half of the month and then switching on again 
um, as we go towards the end of August um, and through the first half of September. So, um, and this policy thing that we're seeing is, you know, basically it's a very much looks like a feature of climate change with, um, you know, widening of, the, widening of the tropics and very much stronger subtropical ridge. And so it just makes it harder for everything to connect up. So you really need this sort of stronger pulse of tropical activity for things to link up and produce rain. Um, talking of climate change, the fact that we're going to have our third negative IOD, Indian Ocean Dipole, uh, in a row, which is most unusual, and there's a potential for a three in a row of La Niñas out in the Pacific Ocean. Is that an effect uh, of uh, climate change? You know, the question about whether we get more La Niñas and El Niños from climate change is still still really an open science question in the in the in the research community. It's fair to say that there's pretty clearer evidence that both La Niñas and La Niñas will get more extreme. The clearer thing, John, is, yes. is this stronger subtropical ridge, so stronger high-pressure systems and causing drying in April to October, which is impacting us. We're seeing it, um, seeing it in terms of how the how those events develop through April to October, the weather systems develop. So that's the clear signal from climate change is drying from those sort of changes in the strengthening of subtropical ridge. August, you're suggesting first half will be wetter than probably we uh, expected or average, and then it's going to dry up. Let's do the rainfall. So we're going to uh, September with rainfall, Darren. So average rainfall September is, is starts decreasing compared to June, July. Um, so yeah, it does look like something around about about 50 millimetres for August, and probably about the same for for September, which is you know it's maybe slightly above the average uh, for September. It looks like it's going to be much the first half of September, and then the then everything weakens off off a fair bit through the second half of September and, and into October. And there's that pulsing again. It's coming in pulses mm. and distinct, so October. It's like July, it's going to be sitting in a bit of a lull of the tropical activity. So, uh, you know, it does look like it's going to struggle to, to, to get to the average in October um, for for most of the month. And then, I mean, once again, it's this timing thing. Um, like like with, with this month, um, whether we get to average or not, it's probably going to depend very much. We, we might get around that, you know, close to average in the next two weeks. And then, um, you know, it's going to depend whether whether we get to average or not. It might depend on the timing of stuff right at the end of the month. Um, if we get some rainfall, extra rainfall right at the end of the month, it could tip us over the average. Or if it hangs off until into, you know, September proper, um, then, you know, it's we might end up sort of something near average. And October's a bit the same. There's a, there's a fair bit of tropical activity shaping up at the end of October and, and first half of November. Um, so, you know, it's going to depend a bit, quite a bit on that sort of timing um, of, of those sort of pulses of tropical activity. Darren, we often focus on the southern part of the state, but the northern area, northern agricultural districts in particular, have really missed out. So has the uh, Riverland and Mallee. Could you just give us a quick concept of what might happen in terms of late winter and spring for that area? There's a couple of couple of systems coming through over the next few weeks that have got some little bit little bit of feed in from those tropics to the northwest. So that supports a bit of that sort of northwest cloud band kind of thing. Yeah, it's not lining up all quite you know as as quite as well as it could do. So um, you know, two th- 2016 we had a very strong negative Indian Ocean, ocean dipole influence, and we you had know, widespread rain and like it's all coming together quite the same with this with this negative IOD event. Yeah, it's just looking like it's really struggling to come together quite the way it could do. 
if we were seeing this sort of negative, this IOD influence probably 30 years ago, yeah, the, the coal fronts would probably be pushing inland a bit more than what we're seeing this year. You know, we've got the, some support this year for the right kind of assistance, but, you know, we're finding some longer-term trends which are not helpful for us. We've taken a look at the rainfall. We need to also have a quick look at the temperatures. So if we come back to August, what's likely to happen in terms of temperatures and frost in particular? I mean, yeah, typically with, with negative IDs, you, you do get those, those more coal systems, stronger winds, cloudier, wetter soils. Um, once again, this is um, what we're seeing at the moment is we're getting these breaks of, of yeah, through July, we had some periods of you know, quite strong high-pressure systems, clear skies, light winds, um, and the soils might not necessarily be wetter um, because the, you know, the rainfall's not being quite what it could have been. Yeah, we've got the, getting this sort of burst of windier conditions with lower frost risk, and then some periods where there's, you know, there's, there's certainly some potential for frost. That's kind of what basically what we're more expecting more of. So lower frost risks first half of, half of um, August, um, probably a little bit more potential for some frost risk in the second half. Overall cooler cooler days, um, and the nights, you know, on average are probably going to be slightly cooler than average. But um, there is still some frost risk in there. All right, um, and along comes spring, September, and people start thinking about their tomatoes and warm season veggies. What's going to happen from a temperature point of view in September? With the negative ID, the springs are colder, uh, colder conditions, so it takes longer for things to warm up. So um, you know, don't don't be expecting to put your in put your tomatoes in and get them going away this early, um, early this year, and in, in sometime in September, it's not going to happen. Um, you're going to be looking at something a little bit later than usual, which you know we've seen the last couple of years um, in terms of people getting their tomatoes going and it, it just basically things kicking off in spring. Does look like that that tropical the tropical activity staying away, the um, the potential for some clearer days, um, so some you know pretty pleasant spring conditions through through the month is 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 pretty likely. So you could see things warm up a little bit um, through October. But, you know, just in general, everything's staying on the mild side with the sort of negative ID influence. And that, um, so that carries through into November. And, and then the linear influence is still hanging around a little bit in the Pacific Ocean. The question about whether it fully develops into another event at the end of the year is um, could go either way, but it's still sort of pushing in that direction. And that, that leaves us with, um, you know, milder first half of summers. So our risk of getting a heat wave um, sometime this year is is pretty low. Yes, and that's the news that I think a lot of people were hoping you would say. Darren, wonderful insight for explaining just what's happening with the weather. And from a gardening point of view, I hope a lot of gardeners have been noting just uh, that wave pattern. There'll be a a period of wetness and a period of dryness. And I might try and capture that and put it into next week's newsletter, Darren. Many thanks for your contribution this morning. Question without notice. A texter says... Will it be wet for my son's 21st birthday party on September the 16th? Some, I don't know that you can be that precise, Darren. They're probably going to be pretty lucky because it does look like that. Um, you know, the bulk of the rain is going to be in the first half, so they, they might get lucky with that one. <laughs> right on the cast, we'll have to see. We look forward to catching you again at the Royal Adelaide Show, yeah, live on the stage. At, Yay! Looking forward to that one. So, oh. yeah, it'd be great to catch up with some, some um, people in person like that. People can come and see see what Darren actually looks like. That's right. That's the weird thing about radio, isn't it? You listen, you get in your mind what the people look like, and they'll see you, Darren, in all your glory. 
<laughs> I look forward to it. It's been a little pleasure talking to you, Deb and, and John. Welcome Zeta with a citrus question. Hi Zeta. I have um, uh, citrus trees and dwarf citrus trees and finger lime. Um, they do not have uh, gall wasp, but can I use kale and clay as a preventative? You certainly can, but don't do it yet. whole idea with kale and clay is you spray the tree and when the wasp has emerged, it has to mate and then lay eggs. And the kale and clay prevents them or deters them from laying eggs. Now, that's not going to happen until probably the back end of October. Mm -hmm. And so... uh, if you put it on now, it'll be all washed off by the time <laughs> it, it needs to work. And you can also use the oil sprays as a preventative of stopping them from laying their eggs. Andrew is in Hove. Uh, Andrew, how are you going with your peach trees? So, John, I've had two varieties. I had a, a Wiggins originally and I've got an Alberta now. Um, first, with the Wiggins and both the Alberta, we get to the stage where the fruit sets okay. They get to about the size of a, maybe a pea. Uh, and then they, they sort of burn off. I never end up getting any fruit. The Alberta, I got fruit the first year because I bought, you know, the, the it was a bare tree. But then last year, it uh, did that burn up again. It must be something with the soil. I'm doing something wrong here. No, well, I'm thinking there's something wrong with the pollination. How close are you to the beach? So we're at Hove, about 700 metres. The other point I should add, I've got a, a gold mine nectar and right next to it, and that's that's quite abundant. Um, you know, I would have got 100 nectarines off that last year. Right-o. Peaches don't need cross-pollination, but they need a certain number of hours of winter chilling if they're going to set. And from the way you're describing it, I think that uh, what's happening is they're flowering, they're starting to set, but the set's not good enough because you haven't got the winter chilling. And again, there's a variation between the different varieties. Some varieties need more winter chilling than others. Um, So if it's a winter chilling problem, there's nothing you can do about it. I don't think you can change the forecast. It's a little bit warmer at night here in general, Mm. you know, just a degree or two, but that could make all the difference. Makes all the difference. But the interesting thing is they're now starting to develop varieties. So with the breeding of fruit trees, then they're starting to come in with newer varieties which don't need the same number of hours of winter chilling. All right, cool. On you, mate. Thank you. Madeline is in Goodwood when uh, we return to the issue of rats and possums. Uh-oh. Hi, Madeline. My lemon tree, which I've got a spalliade, <clears throat> and it's, it's, it's had a tough life, so it's still, even though it's 10 or so years old, it's, its base is two and a half, three centimetre sort of main trunk it's got, and about eight inches above the ground, a um, it's and for the, a good foot or so of that main chunk, it's just lost all its bark and then a couple of the branches have. So it's, I just spotted it yesterday. Is there going to be any hope for it? It and depends on how much bark has been removed. Yep, it's, it's a nice white stalk. Okay, well, I think you, if you did nothing, it would just slowly die. Rats probably, could be possums. I've spotted a couple because I've also got a grapefruit and lime spalliate next to it and I found dead. They seem to be stronger and they've got heavier trunks and there's a couple of spots there I've noticed they're trying. Okay, how high up off off the ground did you say it was being ringbarked? Probably only, you know, 20 centimetres, 8 inches or so. Yeah, okay, so a rat on its back legs could quite easily do that and that would be a prime position for a possum. I'd put my money on it being a possum. When you put in a new one, make sure you have a decent kind of uh, wire guard around it so that, you know, it's fully protected, I think. 
is probably most important. If I were to chop it, it won't regrow from that. It's just better to start with a new one. You know, if it was mine, I'd probably chop it off and see whether it would come away. It may come up and send up lots of suckers and uh, you let them grow for probably six months and then select probably the strongest and see if you can take it over that way. But that's going to set it back a couple of years if you want quick results. <laughs> Be quicker oh. to go and buy a new one. <laughs> no, no. All yeah, you've got to do is afford it. I'd do that, and I'd probably go and get another one, a small one, and put it in a container and grow it so that uh, it's uh, got a few years of growth on it by the time you've decided that the, uh, the original is not going to make it. Uh, Daniel is in Flagstaff Hill. Now, you've got a locust tree, Daniel. Uh, you'd like to reduce the size of it. Um, I've been in a place about a year and a half, and I've got this great big locust tree at the back. And it's got a little bit of fruit, but I'm just wondering, uh, what can I do to get it down from four to five metres and increase the fruit yield? And when's the right time to do that? I'd be doing that after the fruit has been harvested. That puts you probably in uh, very early in uh, summer, probably uh, late November, December. It would be worthwhile, I think, in that period, that early summer period, cutting it back very hard and see whether you can't encourage new branches from lower down um, mm. and uh, if you don't get anything to grow from down there well you know, so be it the thing is if you cut it back very hard it'll come into very vigorous growth and you will need to tip grow tip uh, prune that probably fairly often and thin out the number of branches to, to uh, you've got to work out what kind of a frame do I want and how many branches but the more branches you have uh, the more likely you you'll be successful in reducing its height. Thanks, Daniel. Appreciate the call. Up next, we're going to catch up with Rosarian Rose Judge and Rose Grower, Gavin Woods. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tryon on ABC Radio Adelaide. If you're a keen gardener, you probably wouldn't be over-impressed with the winter that we're having Let's ask a rosarian, one of our top rosarians, Gavin Woods, what kind of a season it's been for rose bushes? Uh, well, it's been very cold here at Kadena. The rose bushes are devoid of leaves. There's very few leaves left on the unpruned roses. Um, and lots and lots of fungal disease. Can we look at it from a rose bush's point of view? If you haven't pruned, what's the consequences of late pruning? after the buds are burst? Uh, I think if, you go, if you're pruning from probably this week onwards, you want to select um, buds that have burst into growth rather than dormant buds as we would have pruned a month ago. Uh, most of the roses are moving, so they're starting their spring growth. So I'd just be selecting uh, some nice, healthy new shoots to prune to. When you do prune, would you prune harder because you're late, or would you prune softer because you're late? No, you probably prune a bit softer. So, um, you know, maybe a couple of shoots above where you would previously have pruned. Now, you mentioned and that there are a lot of uh, black spot about. There are not too many leaves left, but those leaves that are left have got black spot on them. What's the consequence of that? So, as you know, black spots carried on the leaves, the spores then reinfect the new growth. Um, through rain, splash and droplet infection. So you're really going to have to be careful in trying to clean up as much of the old fallen leaves as you can. 
and applying some good uh, solid winter sprays. So don't let the prunings just drop on the ground because that uh, uh, will encourage the spots to go round in another cycle. It certainly does. I mean, I know some growers who get out there and vacuum their leaves up. <laughs> so let's take a look at control. With uh, fungal diseases, particularly black spot, it's the prevention is, is what's needed. Could I ask what uh, Gavin Woods uses to uh, control black spot? John, I pay particular attention to my winter sprays. I avoid antifungals during the growing season but I put on two solid winter sprays. So the first spray, uh, before bud burst, I use lime sulphur. Uh, lime sulphur uh, runs the risk of burning the foliage if you apply it um, once the shoots have started to move. And that spray needs to get right through the bark, through all the crevices and on the ground as well. So you're covering potentially as many fungal spores as you can. So it's the action of the lime sulphur that makes it more effective probably than some other fungicides? Obviously lime sulphur is easily washed off so you need to uh, wait for a dry period but you need to get it on fairly quickly after you prune. So okay there's your first spray which is lime sulphur. Um, now I know that you use uh, chicken manures. Is the chicken manure from uh, uh, a well-bred um, chook better than uh, the chicken manure from just an ordinary old chook? Oh absolutely John. I breed Peking bantams um, and uh, my understanding is that the smaller the bird, the, the greater the nitrogen concentration in their droppings. So that's fair dinkum. <laughs> I've for years tried to get enough budgie manure to do my roses, but it's pretty hard to find. <laughs> and I do believe that you're showing your, your wonderful bantams this weekend. Yeah, we've got a, a big state show at Maitland, so looking forward to it. Oh, OK. That's open to the public? It is. Come along, Maitland Showgrounds, tomorrow after 10 o'clock. Um, you'll see the best peaking bantams in Australia. Gavin Woods is not only one of our top rosarians, he's also, what's a, a chookarian? I've never heard of that term before. I might, <laughs> I might uh, trademark that if I can, John, a chookarian. <laughs> uh, Gavin, before we let you go, can I just put a question to you on the text line? Um, a texter says, I think we may have rose rosette virus. Any advice on removal of bushes and treatment of soil? How long before other plants can be put into that area? Well, look, Deb, I certainly hope they haven't got rose rosetting disease because it's not known to be in Australia. It's a terrible, terrible viral disease that uh, is rife through America. So I'd get some clarification on that. Um, they call it witch's broom because the growth ends up small and numerous on the tops of the plants and it will kill the plant. So there needs to be a good diagnosis of actually what you've got. Um, and viral diseases tend to show up during periods of stress. So get along to, you know, a good garden centre that has some specialty in roses or one of the, the rose uh, wholesalers or get to a Rose Society member and find out what you're dealing with. And just on that, Gavin, you might be making the same recommendation for Beck in Victor, who is desperately trying to find a Royal Dane rose. 
Yeah, well, I grow Royal Dane, and if she loses it, Victor, I suspect Ross Roses would carry it. It's a pretty hard rose to locate, but I think Ross Roses would be their best bet. There you go, Beck. Gavin Woods, always a pleasure to hear from you. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thanks, Deb. Thanks, John. Thank you. Let's now go to Campbelltown. Now, Michael, you've recently moved there. Yeah, I've not long moved here, and um, all there is in the garden is um, a couple of small geraniums. And I just wondered... um, I guess the ground's too cold and wet now to, to plant anything. What what do you recommend, John, for um, this area, Campbelltown? What, what do you want to grow? Fruit, trees, vegetables or ornamentals or all three? Just ornamental, yeah. yeah it would be important to try and improve the soil, the quality of the soil. And I would be moving the pine bark to one side and keep it there at one side because you can put it back later on and use it as a mulch. But you need to think about how you can improve the uh, uh, the health of the soil. Um, I would be getting bags of animal manure. Um, you can buy it on roadside uh, uh, call, uh, stalls or you can get it from garden centres. But uh, put a thick layer as much as you can afford to put on the soil Um, And if it's typical Campbelltown soil, it's probably got a fair amount of clay there. I'd be also using gypsum, one kilogram to the square metre. So put the combination of animal manures and the gypsum together and try and dig that into the top at least 20 centimetres of soil. That's if you're fair dinkum. Um, Just putting the animal manure on the soil and and mixing it up with the gypsum and then putting your pine bark will do. Eventually the organic matter will work its way into the topsoil, but it would be much quicker and much better if you could work that into the topsoil. What you're doing then is putting lots of organic matter in the soil, increasing the microbial content, and then when you put the plants in, it's the microbes that get the fertilizers and turn it into a form or a format that can be used by your plants. And if you just do that, that improves what you've got, and then you can put in either trees or shrubs or flowers and even vegetables. But that, I think, is most important. And do it now while probably, as you mentioned, it's too early to start putting in the flowers and things like that. So uh, improve the soil in August so that come September, you're up and away. Uh, Sherry is in Salisbury Heights. Um, You would like to ask a question of John on asparagus, Sherry. Yes, good morning. Um, I um, am finally ready to put in an asparagus bed and I've been um, using the uh, Peter Bennett gardening book and he talks about putting like live seaweed on as a fertiliser and I just wondered what I could do instead of that. Well, I think if you just use a good organic fertiliser, anything that's got uh, lots of organic material in it, uh, cow manure would be absolutely brilliant. You can't overdo cow manure. And so uh, if you're going to be fair dinkum, dig a trench and put a layer, a thick layer of cow manure at the bottom of the trench, uh, put a two or three centimetres of soil on top of that and then put in your crowns and they'll say thank you very much. Cow manure and compost, the combination, will set you up. That asparagus is going to be there for 20 years. Yes. And this is your one chance to get the soil right before (laughs) you start. I'm sorry, Sarah, from Geelong. I don't know if we're going to get to it or not, but just quickly, you've got a problem with your cactus. It's a um, cactus in a really small pot, but six inches high, furry, 
um, looks like a cucumber, but the bottom of it's just started to go brown and is a bit moist. We're just a bit worried, and what should we do to rescue it? Oh. It's, it's quite likely to be wet feet, and at this stage, just uh, make sure it doesn't get any more rain on it, don't water it, and I would let it dry out. In fact, I'd actually take it out of the container and let it sit next to the container, let the root system dry out as quickly as possible, and uh, once it's dry, put it back and then do nothing until springtime when you use one of the seaweed extracts and one of those, try and stimulate the root system when you can see some new growth. At that stage, give it a slow-release fertiliser. Sarah, lovely to hear from you all the way in Geelong. Thank you very much for the call. Uh, John, been another fantastic um, talk back gardening. I've learnt so much this morning. It's always good fun and I love talking to our experts. I learn so much myself. I'm going to go into my own little garden and enjoy and so hope you enjoy your garden. And until next week, good gardening.